Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. several conversations with this gentleman who's beside me and every single time we have a conversation I hear a different part of the story another part of the story and the story is inspiring and encouraging and thrilling to hear how God has been faithful to Bob McAllister his late wife Alma and to the two boys and his daughter to Bill and David and Ruth now behind your head is a well, there's a, there are a couple of balloons that say 80, and you're just a wee bit older than the mission, the worldwide? A wee bit, eh? How much of a wee bit? I'm 91. You're 91. Okay. I wouldn't get the same applause for letting on my age, but they're not going to know that anyway. Um, a lot of the folks sitting here will think you're a very proud Ulsterman, but you're not actually an Ulsterman, you're American. Oh, well, I don't know. You're a bit of both. Uh, both, hi. You were born in America. That's right, hi. In Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. And at yeah. the age of two, there was a fairly sad circumstance at yeah. home. My mother died. Your mother died. And your father, keen to get you brought up the right way, <laughs> sent you home on a not-too-traditional route back to Granny Bunting with a load of Ulster men. It wasn't just Ulster men, it was a load of orange men. That's right. They brought you home. You had three weeks back over the Atlantic. Aye. Back up the shankle. Back up to the shankle. Not the traditional route, but back up to the shankle. <laughs> and you grew up, um, the, the book talks about you being wee Bobby from the hammer. That's you grew right. up on the shankle with a That's couple of fairly illustrious neighbours, if I recall. The next door neighbour to me, where I lived in Hunton Street of Agnes Street, my next door neighbour was a doctor. A wee lad by the name of Nevin, was it? Professor, Professor Norman Nevin, he would Nevin. become eventually. Yeah, he was my next door neighbour. And wasn't there somebody from the China Inland Mission? Yes, Harry Brown, Harry Brown in Rex Street. He became one of the leading linguists of the China Inland Mission. And he was born in the next street to where I lived. So for being a corner boy, with another few corner boys, you all did fairly well. All did all right. Yeah. You learn when you're cornered by how to live. And you learned a lot, didn't you? Because you learned a lot of the things that, it always strikes me when I listen to your story, Bob, that all of those wee things that seemed accidental and incidental, the Lord had a plan and a way of using them. You came to to the Lord when? 1940, in Bethany Presbyterian Church, Hagen Street. The Presbyterian Church that year was running a simultaneous mission. They asked the ministers to change over their pulpits and uh, give a week of gospel preaching, not theologies, philosophies, or anything else, but straight gospel. And for one week in 1940, in January, we had straight gospel and animation right throughout the Presbyterian churches in the northern part of Ireland. And I went to that mission, I said to the boys, at the corner of the street, where I was a member of their gang. Boys, there's a mission starting in the church tomorrow night. 
and I'm going. And I'm going to make the best of it. Going to make the best of it. Meaning in my heart that if an opportunity was given for people to get saved, I would be a candidate. I knew that much. I needed Jesus. And I went the next night and was soundly saved by the grace of God. And that was a good, what was it, a good diet of the shorter catechism and an involvement in Sunday school and Boys Brigade, all of those things. Granny Bunting made sure you were well involved. Yeah, Life Boys, Boys Brigade. And, uh, and so you were 14, 14 when you came to the Lord. 14, yes. And that was right in the middle of the war. And before the end of the war, you'd be working as a GI. You were telling me you were in Germany as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, being an American citizen, I was notified from... United States of America that there was a war on, as though I didn't know it, <laughs> and that my country needed me, as my son used to say, to stop a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so I was to be conscripted, but being a true Ulsterman by, by, by birth, I volunteered, <laughs> and that was beneficial right through it, though military experience. So it was a, a wee Belfast boy who was a GI and I wasn't chewing gum but it was in my ordinary clothes and I was a, a GI officially and I was getting 10% extra in wages for being overseas from America. <laughs> and then when I, when I retired from the American forces the GI Bill of Rights paid for me through Bible school, three years at Emmanuel Bible School, Birkenhead, and then paid for me at a, a medical school down in London, nine months. So I got all benefits without going back to America at all. So I'd left when I was four. You were getting plenty of international experience as well by the indeed. time you were in, in your early 20s. Now, I want to go back just very briefly because the worldwide played a part did. And you going to Congo, yes. didn't it? Tell yes. us about that. It was about Alma, your wife particularly. Alma and Bob, arm in arm, marching down to the Worldwide Missionary Convention. Our city missionary, Lewis Ward, made sure that all his young people got to the convention. And so Alma was praying without telling me what she was praying about, but she was praying, Lord, if you really want me in Africa, Cause one of the speakers to ask for a mill girl. Almost only a mill girl at that time. She worked in a mill up the Crumlin Road, Eden Dairy Mill. I didn't know about that until after the whole thing was over. And the missionary meeting with Dawn, some speakers spoke of needs of this education, uh, medical work, so forth. And then the closing missionary speaker was Miss Amamun from home from Spanish Guinea for follow. And Amamun got up, held onto the rostrum, looked around the gallery, looked around the ground floor, said no words, looked everybody over two or three times, and then she spoke. Amamun said, I wonder if a mill girl here would stand for Jesus for Africa. Five hands went up, five mill girls, and they came forward and dedicated their lives to missionary work wherever the Lord would lead them. And Alma was one of the five. I heard about that later. <laughs> and to skip 
to the, the final destination, you find yourselves serving in Congo with the UFM. Now, there was a documentary on the BBC uh, a year or so ago uh, about the events that happened during your time in Congo, but paint the picture for me, if you would, of those early days. What were you doing in Congo? What kind of work? I know Alma went on and trained as a nurse. Yeah, she was a midwife. What were you doing? Everything. <laughs> missionaries, missionaries do everything. The main thing is to preach the gospel. And every opportunity we got, we took it to preach the gospel as best we could through the Swahili language. I was possibly a builder, although I couldn't lay bricks straight to save my life. I was a mechanic. I know nothing about it. I was a carpenter. My dad was a carpenter. My granddad was a, was a carpenter on the building the Titanic, but that didn't help me. Any. <laughs> So whatever job, uh, whatever whatever job came your way, you put your hand forward, made an effort, you you got it done or die in the attempt. 1960, and Belgian Congo was given its independence. Yes. And a lot of things started to change. There were a lot of promises made by politicians and by various groups within the Congo at that stage? What, what sort of things were they expecting independence would bring? Well, it would take too long to tell you, but the poor Africans in our area of Congo were led to believe that when Independence Day would come, there would be a resurrection of their dead. Not to go to bed that night, but to have the firewood stacked up to be having a fire beside the grave during the night because in the first streak of the 1st of July, which was Independence Day, the 30th of June into the 1st of July, the dead would rise and they'd meet their, their ancestors at that stage. Never happened, of course. So there are lots of different things along that, that line. So there was an, all sorts of expectations, and obviously they weren't met. Within about four years, there was a lot of disillusion, a lot of people who were very angry, and the Simba Rebellion, as we now know it, yeah. began. How did that affect you? Well, we lived through three rebellions. We didn't start any of them, but we lived through them. <laughs> uh, but the third one was the Simba Rebellion, which our lady here speaks, right? And... Uh, they took the name of lions, Simba, and uh, they were going to put the country straight once they took it over. They did make great strides in getting the country. Congo is over, please note, over a million square miles, not a thousand, a million square miles in area, vast country. And in two months, the Simbas, had conquered two-thirds of the territory. And so they were a fighting force, although they had to steal all their weaponry from the uh, Congolese army, which couldn't stand up to them because of the fears of witchcraft against them. Bob, what were you still doing there when that was all happening? Why did you not do what a lot of people would have thought you might have done and take your wife and your three children to safety? Well, our children were at... Uh, 
boarding school over in Nairobi and in Rethi. And uh, Alma and I went up from Pontyville, 100 miles south of Stanleyville, uh, to meet our children coming home from boarding school. And then we got the alarm that the rebels were advancing right from the place we had just left, Pontyville, and they were going to attack Stanleyville. And uh, we did get our, we did get the children home from Uganda and Nairobi and Kenya one day, and the very next day the rebels came in after that, and the roads were closed, blocked off. We couldn't travel. We tried to get back to. Uh, our old mission station, but we, we couldn't travel, couldn't get a permit to lift the barriers. So we were held as a group of missionaries in Stanleyville because the rebels had arrived and they put us under house arrest and we were under house arrest for four months. There was an attack. You were shot. Tell us about that, paint that picture and tell us yeah. what happened yeah. to yourself and Hector. Reverend Hector McMillan and I were taken out. The two men left in the group. The rest were women and children. And uh, our own three children were there. And McMillan had six sons there. But the two men, Hector McMillan, Canadian farmer. Hey, farmers make great missionaries. They're that stingy they wouldn't buy a washer if they could make one. And he could make them. And when we, wanted, when we wanted a job done, we used to say, go get Hector, get Hector. And if you can't get Hector, get 10 other fellows instead. They'll do, they'll do just as well. That's the type of man Hector was. He was a great humorist, a great Bible teacher, a great lover of music, and a great man to bring his sons up in the way of the Lord. And Hector and I were taken out to be shot together while the women and children were left in a little house, which we call our headquarters of the UFM. Suddenly, Macmillan was a few paces behind me, and he was riddled with bullets and dropped dead right beside me. I turned to the rebels and said, you've shot one of my best friends. Then they opened the fire on me. Bullets went all over the place. One grazed me in the forehead, taking some skin with it, and I had learned a lesson, lesson or two, you know, when I was a wee corner boy in Belfast. We used to play cowboys and Indians. And when somebody came around the corner and shouts, bang, bang, you're dead. You had to lie down. And then like a flash, when I heard these bullets come in my direction, I said to myself, there's no time for me to be on my feet. So I threw myself down, face down, and pretended to be dead. Bang, bang, I wasn't dead at all. And Hector was killed on the spot, leaving behind his dear wife, I own, and, tw and six lovely lads. Uh, and I was spared to my wife and children. God was good to me. Our stories recorded in the Acts chapter 12. One was taken. And the other was left. Herod intended after Easter to kill the other one, but he never did. God is sovereign as we heard tonight. Jesus has overcome the world. 
and he's victor. And we're rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. You did eventually, you did leave Congo and you went back, uh, as I say, to make the documentary. What about the church that you left whenever you eventually moved from the country? What, what were things like all those years later? Well, we as missionaries at the Simba Rebellion time were held in different places, two and three hundred miles apart, little groups here and there. And uh, Ruby Gray from Dramara, which is a place called Benalia, where the parish were, Dr. Sharp and his wife and children were. And an American missionary called forgot her name. She was there. And and missions were killed at these different places. We lost thirteen missionaries of our group and six lovely children, all brutally murdered by the the rebels. Some were shot, some were butchered bush knives, but the bodies were thrown to the rivers so that the crocodiles would clear up any evidence of dead bodies. And so when, we, when I went back on a little visit later, I went particularly to these places where the missionaries had been murdered. Now the rebels had told my wife and me when, they were, they, they, when the rebels were in control, they said, there's, there's no God. We're going to worry, wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to burn all the churches. And they did. And there's no more Sundays. We're going to work on Sunday. And we're going to have a rest day on Thursdays. That was their prediction. We couldn't argue with them. We were prisoners. I ended up in prison, actually. And got out of it, bit of gale, and shank a road with. <laughs> but in every place where our missionaries were murdered, there's a brand new permanent church building right there at the present time. To God be the glory. So instead of new churches, there's more churches there than ever before. And they're packed every Sunday. People go to church with a Bible in one hand, Hamburg in the other hand if they've got enough money to get one. And they take a chair with them to sit outside because they know they'll probably not get into church, the building. The churches are crowded. And the church is triumphant amidst all the bloodshed. And it's still going on today in the Congo. But the Lord has overcome the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we finish, and we need to now, but very briefly, you've, you've tried to recruit farmers to mission, and I know that you have a real burden for uh, young people particularly. What do you want to say to the young folk here tonight? When I was 14, I talked to myself. You don't need to wait here and end to talk to yourself. Start early and enjoy it. <laughs> At 14, I said to myself, if God can't satisfy me in life, 
nobody else can. And that was a driving force that took me to the mission prepared to accept the Savior when a challenge was given for people to come forward and trust the Lord. Then, after I was saved, got back into the factory, served my time as an iron turner on the Falls Road, me from Mishanka, served my time at the Falls Road as an apprentice iron turner. But I remember the big tears coming down my cheeks as I stood at the lathe and looked out the window and saw something of people, people, people that needed the gospel. And the burden of God upon my soul, and I talked to myself again, don't miss it. Start young and enjoy it in the will of God. And I, as the tears would stream down my cheeks, I said, what will I do if I don't go to the mission field when the judgment day comes and we all stand before the Lord to give an account of the deeds done in the body? Here I am, a strong lad of 14 years of age, perfect health and strength. And the Bible says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that I send forth labors into his harvest. That God told the the, the disciples to pray for the missionaries to get out there and get the job done. And I, I said to myself, I was told to myself, what if in the judgment day, what excuse will I give? Or what reason will I, I, I stumble about to try and explain why I did not go? How could I explain myself? Healthy, strong, heard the word, had the vision, and if I hadn't have gone, what would I say to the Lord on the judgment day? And that gave me a go. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Got souls saved as a GI. I was a Belfast GI in the American army. I was in prison for preaching the gospel. None, no other reason. Uh, and we got souls saved while we were in prison. And the Lord was good. And I've been shouting about Jesus since the day I was saved. I was saved in 1940. 76 years ago, he didn't count it up. 76 years ago, uh, I was saved. And I've been preaching the gospel ever since. And rejoicing in the fullness of the power of the Spirit of God. Are you Hallelujah. encouraged? Thank you. I'll never forget the day in Congo when we were working hard. My wife is a midwife, me as a, a, an ordinary five-inch common builder that didn't know how to build. When Tearphone came in to sink wells and get fresh water for the Congolese in our area, and when the first effort was made to get the well dug, the man who was digging went down, 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 and got no water. And he said to the doctor, where do you want the water? The doctor says, I want it as close to the hospital as I can get it. So he just moved, moved his whole gear over a few feet, I don't know many feet, but a few feet, started digging again, down, 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 down and he got water. 
And we remember Tirfan bringing water into our area of the hospital in Nkunde, where Dr. Helen Rosefield worked later on as a, as a missionary doctor. And we got water through Tier Fund. So we're proud to be linked with Tier Fund and their great service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can hear so much more about that on Saturday night whenever Bob's son, Bill, who's with us this evening, is going to be speaking to Worldwide. You can, of course, if you want, book plug in the line of fire. The whole story is here. You haven't even got the, the cherry on the top of the icing on the top of the cake this evening. But thank you, Bob, for yet again inspiring us and encouraging us. Thank, Thank you, you for your patience with me. <laughs> we trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.